Welcome back to another new episode of First Principles, the leadership podcast from the Ken, where each fortnight we go inside the minds of some of India's best-known founders through unhurried, candid, and sharp conversations with them. I'm Rohan Dharmakumar, your host, and today we're speaking with Ruchi Kalra, the CEO of One Unicorn and the CFO of another. That's right. In 2016. Ruchi quit McKinsey as a partner and together with four of our co-founders started Off Business, a platform that would enable business-to-business sales of raw materials like cement, plastic, steel, etc. A year later, the same co-founders started Oxizo, a platform that would lend money to businesses that wanted to buy such raw materials. Both Off Business and Oxizo are unicorns today worth billions of dollars. even more importantly they're both profitable as well a commonly held stereotype of startup founders is their age young 20 something founders don't have families that demand their time or homes that demand loan repayments or pallets that demand more than instant noodles which means all of their energies can be directed at their startups or so we told in contrast when experienced professional startup they bring an entirely different mindset of which today's episode is a masterclass in a wide ranging conversation spanning her school days in delhi career at mckinsey starting up twice and building a multi founder organization that is both risk taking and risk averse ruchi tells us how sometimes experienced founders do things their way We normally record first principles episodes inside a professional studio but this episode was recorded inside one of the meeting rooms at Oxizo's buzzing Gurugram offices in December which is why in spite of the best efforts from my colleague Rajiv our resident sound guru the audio will sound a bit different just imagine you're in the meeting room with us lastly this is episode 12 which means we're midway through our first season run of 24 episodes i've had a wonderful time speaking with 12 incredibly original founders and i hope so have you here's to them and to the next 2 years the second person on this show who's running a business which is essentially two unicorns within it and i think that's like a very interesting thing for india to have that many entrepreneurs who are running multiple unicorns that have spins spun out from the same business but i thought it was a very interesting connection for us the other person was navin tiwari who started in mobi and then started glance Do you want to tell us which are the two unicorns you're related to? Okay. Um so very very glad to be right here talking about both off business and oxizo. Uh both unicorns and in their own standing individual standalone companies and I think kudos to the entire team for off business as well as oxizo. 
uh, and uh, even the leadership for both the different organizations. Yes, both of them actually uh, came together from the fundamental idea that we wanted to cater to all B2B needs of the SME ecosystem. And as we saw that space, we realized that raw material on a standalone basis, which is essentially off business, the largest B2B marketplace, uh, is one opportunity. But along with that, credit was a standalone opportunity. And uh, as we saw the space, we saw an opportunity. Wait, I'm going to stop you here because you're going way too deep for oh, us it? to kind of begin with. Okay. We will, we will definitely go deeper into this as the podcast progresses. Yeah. But for now, let's just like, let me start by asking you, who's Ruchi Kalra like? Because I really had to struggle to figure out what is the title? What do I introduce you as? So let me put that to you. Who's Ruchi Kalra? What is her title? So I think uh, I'm an OFBN as we classify each person at Off Business or Oxizo as. Uh, but in terms of title, in terms of introduction, actually most of my time goes into Oxizo. So I'm the CEO for Oxizo Financial Services and very actively involved in Off Business or OFB tech, as they put it, uh, from a finance perspective. So yes, a co-founder at Off Business and the CEO of Oxizo Financial Services. Are you also the CFO of um, of business? To, I used to in my in my in my prior role. I still You're play no that. Long. I still no. play that role. Yes, but most of my time goes into Oxys of financial services. Wonderful. So that's so so the connections between off business and Oxyzo are interesting. And of course, the fact that like you know the multiple co-founders who came together to start up. Yeah. Tell us about that. Like tell us about how did off business, which was the first of the businesses, yes. uh, how, how did it come about? So this was late 2015. Um, uh, my prior experience was uh, with McKinsey and Company uh, as a partner there uh, in the financial services practice. Uh, along with me, uh, other co-founders as Ashish, uh, he was with Matrix Partners and prior to that in McKinsey and uh, prior to that with ITC. I happened to meet him at McKinsey uh, and my better half as well. And uh, Bhuvan, who actually leads technology uh, as a CTO across both uh, OFP and Oxizo, and uh, Basant and Nitin. So all of us kind of got together at that point in time in late 2015, 2016, early 2016. We saw that there was a lot of opportunity. In fact, that time you saw a lot of B2C startups. And because most of us came with like 10, 15 years of experience, we had seen the SME ecosystem. We'd seen like real businesses in manufacturing, infrastructure and so on and so forth, right? And we saw that there was a huge opportunity to actually build a raw material marketplace in this space itself. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you there and ask you, what is the, um, when you say, I mean, to a lay listener who's listening, it's yeah. like you're saying, we saw the huge material in the raw material space. Yeah. Now take us back to while you were at McKinsey, Ashish was at like, you know, Matrix, etc. What were you seeing as this? What is this huge raw material opportunity? How did it exist? How were you coming across it? in your day-to-day -day work, etc. How does a normal person spot it? What was this? Can okay, so let me first describe what B2B is, right? So if you were to start with saying, okay, uh, you see a phone, you see a bottle, you see tables around you, right? So there is someone who's manufacturing things. You look out of the window, you see a road, you see a bridge, right? And there are there are enterprises who are building this, who are building India in terms of infrastructure, in terms of manufacturing, and that's the B2B opportunity, right? Whatever you see around. Uh, and... For us, we realized that 
the opportunity essentially would be saying, okay, there is steel which goes into building something. There is chemical which goes into actually all daily use items. Or there could be, for that matter, polymers that you're using in a bottle or for that matter in your furniture around, right? And when you see these raw materials, what happens in these raw materials? These are produced by very large manufacturers like, like a GSW, Tata, Sale, for steel for that matter. There is chemical and polymer, Reliance and all. Then it gets sold to a very large distributor. Then it goes sold to a next distributor. And then it comes to the guy who's actually manufacturing end goods out of it. Like, for example, car parts, auto parts, right? Or for that matter, like bottles and so on and so forth, right? So there are various layers in between. And when we say B2B, it is essentially the trade which is happening between these different nodes. And when an off-business sees this opportunity, it's essentially saying that, can I get goods or these raw materials directly from a large manufacturer of raw material to these SMEs who are then using these raw materials to produce an end good and selling it to, say, a Maruti or say, selling it to... How do you do that? Where do you come in? Like prior to off-business yeah. or like, you know, your sort of business models. I'm assuming that this trade already existed, right? Yes. So where do you come in and what do you do? Actually, the, this trade that we're talking about is huge in terms of volume. Like, okay. for example, steel itself could be a 100 billion industry. Mm. Chemicals itself is a 300 billion dollar industry, right? In India alone, right? And when we say India essentially is the land of intermediaries, mm. right? And these intermediaries in between the large manufacturer of a raw material to actually a consumption guy on the raw material, the manufacturer who's actually using these raw materials, there would be three or four different intermediaries in between. One is co-located with the manufacturer of raw material. One right. is co-located with the SME of the raw material and someone in between. These intermediaries either stock, these intermediaries either finance, these intermediaries either insure goods are transported, right? So at each node, there is some margin that an intermediary keeps. But if you build a platform, which we intended to, and we actually saw that we could actually get the goods directly from a very large manufacturer to these individual SMEs, and hence leading to benefit for the SME as well, and a new channel of distribution for the manufacturer as well. And that's where Off Business was born. We started our journey more as steel as a raw material. Currently, we exist in nine different value chains, which includes um, industrial steel and construction steel, which includes chemicals, which includes polymers, which includes agri-products, which includes um, uh, materials like bitumen, so on and so forth, right? So, so, so if I were to try and draw an analogy, not an exact analogy, but in the B2C space or in the consumer goods space, it's equivalent of saying... A local Kirana store shop cannot just go to a Unilever or PNG and say, I want to buy from you because yeah. at that scale and volume, they yeah. cannot. Therefore, there is a distributor layer, wholesaler layer, etc. And all that. Correct. And something similar exists in the B2B space as well. Yeah. And so you're essentially trying to reduce the number of intermediaries. Yes. And make it a Correct. faster and more efficient. That's what off-business came up with. Yes, that's right. The The interesting part about the B2B space is that similar chains can exist for end products and similar chains can exist for raw materials. There are a few players who are there on the end product side, B2B, like for example, what you described, right? Let me break the chain for end products tra tra traversing from a Unilever to a retailer. Similarly, we'll say, okay, let's go back and say this, to even manufacture that end product, you needed a raw material. That's the chain we break. Right from starting from a steel, which mm -hmm. goes into an infra guy to actually build the bridge 
or for that matter if i take an agri example to it then it's like for example you'll need almonds to make even that biscuit which is actually going to get sold to a retailer right so an almond trade will need to happen wherein you either will import or take it and then sell it to a very large guy like an ITC. Now this chain in in many essences can extend all the way you know at one end to the consumer and all the way at the other end to wherever is the rawest form of material right? right. So as of business where is it that you folks say that like you know we will play in or where like is there any part of this chain where you say this is not for us? And this is where we will play. Yeah. So for us, something that's very clear in our mind is in the true B2B way, we do not want to own a brand or something, right? So we are doing it for someone, right? Um, so our starting or genesis is the, with the fact that we will supply those raw materials, which are, for example, there are a lot of intermediaries in between so that there is real value to the platform and discovery. The second part is saying that, okay, if you need it, if you don't take it, someone else can take it. That's what raw material is. Finished goods is something that is manufactured to design and so on. So for mm-hmm. us at off business to start with, it has to be saying that you have to be in the raw, raw material side such that the consumer for us or the SME for us is himself a manufacturer who's taking that raw material and producing something to sell it to a larger anchor or, a, uh, or an interest. So the core sectors of the economy is where we want to be associated with. And these core sectors of the economy to produce the goods that they manufacture would need some of these raw materials that we have exist. So that's that's the chain we will stay in. All right. We'll go a little bit deeper into this later on. But could I ask you for now to explain in one line or two lines yeah. what is off business yeah. and what is oxyso? In a way that my mom can understand it. Okay. In a way that your mom can understand it. So yeah. So I, I would say. Uh, of business is there to fulfill a business's requirement so that they can actually produce their end outcome. Oxizo is there to say that whatever you need for your business, if you need money for that or credit for that, that will be provided. And in, 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 in a sense, if you were introducing it to your mom, I would say that if you're, you're in the kitchen and making very, very beautiful rotis, then you will need atta for that of business is there and when you will need money to buy that ATA then Oxizo will be there to actually finance it so yeah alright thank you for that how do how do both these businesses make, make money okay so uh, for off business in terms of because it's a provider of raw material and in fact um, one of uh, the things that you said uh, early on in terms of two unicorns and, and where we are today and the core premise of whatever we did and whatever we've started is to say, answer that question as to how a business can make money. And that has been a fundamental throughout. And that is why we are where we are today, right? Now, in terms of how off-business makes money, essentially saying that we are purchasing from a large manufacturer and we are selling it to an SME or a mid-corporate, right? So because we are disintermediating in between, there were two or three layers which had their own margins built in in between. So that is one way to capture margin. Second is because with time, the aggregation engine becomes so strong that you are able to derive a lot more aggregation benefit from the manufacturer because you are able to reach those levels in terms of MOUs and discount levels. Some of it you pass to the customer. Sorry, what is MOU? uh, That you have been able to achieve a certain slab 
No, I mean literally got a minimum order. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, okay. Right. So if you order. are able to sell that much through your platform, then you get more and more benefits from the manufacturers, right? And some of that you scale benefits. Scale benefits, which you pass some of it you pass on to the customer, some of it you keep yourself, right? So uh, the platform essentially makes money because there is enough margin in the chain, which actually was split across three or four entities. That is one. And second is with scale, you are able to actually get a lot more, more, much more margin uh, in terms of uh, how the scale happens. So if I were to understand it, the money actually, you explained how you're able to disintermediate and create better opportunity, but how you actually make money. So you make money in the, in buy the, the, in the between in the, the buy, buy and, and the sell. sell. Right. So Got everything it. that we do for us, a GMV or revenue is the same thing. We will buy from a large manufacturer and we will sell it to a small and medium enterprise, right? To actually for their own use. So one would to kind of zoom out and look at uh, such trade networks in India and why you've been able to disrupt them. Would it be fair to say that for many decades, pre-technology optimized this thing for a country the size of India, there was no way other than for hugely intermediated chains to exist because that was the only way you could do business. But now, thanks to technology, you can come in and say, look, you don't really need four levels at this. It can make do with just two levels. So it's it's basically legacy uh, trade networks that are being disrupted by technology. And like, you know, uh, is that what's happening? So I would say that if you look at uh, India as an intermediary market, most of the intermediaries are very localized in nature, right? So either they are very co-located with, say, a large manufacturer or large source, or they are actually co-located with a, uh, a cluster of industries, which is the Mandi. Right? And they have been able to do these trades essentially because of the local knowledge or the local association. And it has been going on for a long time, right? And in these intermediaries, if you look at it, there has not been a very large intermediary, right? All of them would ideally have a very localized presence, right? So what we've been able to do is that we might have started from selected geographies where we would have built a lot of volume and strength, but we've been able to replicate it across multiple geographies, not just in one raw material category, but multiple raw material categories. And that has been actually two different dimensions of growth. If you look at it, you will find, if you see, you'll see only a sale distributor. They would not even be multiple sale brands, Steel Authority, authority of India, right? Or JSW. So you will not even see them keeping multiple brands. That's one. Forget about having multiple product types, right? So for us, because obviously technology is a big enabler, right? For that, to be able to actually get information in, about who the supplier is and who the buyer is, right? And breaking those local boundaries is something that has been enabled through technology. Second is the amount of volume that we process on a daily basis in terms of vehicles getting loaded, getting, you know, tracked, shipped, invoices, GSD. That mammoth uh, flow is possible only through technology, right? So most of these small intermediaries have been like, okay, four or five people together doing one particular brand, one particular category, and so on. So I think, yes, technology plays a very important role in terms of breaking the barrier in terms of localization. Like, for example, right now, we have even gotten into import and export, right? So so just the those uh, geographical distances get blurred. Second is the 
quantum of um, transactions being handled becomes much more easier. And third is replicability. We might have started with steel, but replicating the same thing across chemicals, across petroleum derivatives, across energy products, and so on and so forth, becomes much more easier uh, in terms of modular. You just mentioned tracking all the number of trucks, etc. So uh, when you buy and sell products, like, you know, across multiple value chains, are you doing the fulfillment yourself as well? It is enabled. Many a times the supplier enables it. But for us, what's important is to give an end-to-end -end view to the customer, right? Customer gets a full view from the ordering, from the selection, the quote he needs to select, to confirming it, to saying where his vehicle is, to actually delivery, to the invoice. So all of that happens through our back our own ERP system and hence the visibility to the customer that he can in fact even plan for just-in-time inventory is something that the platform aims to deliver. And and do most of your customers and customers actually use your product through your website or is it like is there like a there force field force or apps? There is app. Obviously there is an element when you whenever you're in a B2B space unlike hmm. maybe B2C there is an element of interaction. It has to be. Like Especially, each, yeah, because these people order, have been used to... More importantly, each order is, like, think about it, like 50 lakhs, 25 lakhs. Each shipment is 10 lakhs, mm. right? So there is always that interaction. But to think of it in terms of efficiency, to handle a volume, monthly volume, say, of around 2,000 crores, which actually is revenue for us, right? Mm. Uh, the entire amount, number of salespeople or something would be 100, 120. So, it, I mean, the fact is that the system makes the processes and the flow very efficient. Not every interaction needs to happen manually. But at the same time, considering the flow and customer relationship, yes, there is some cushioning there. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of quick questions about your businesses. Yeah. How old are Off Business and Oxizo? So Off Business uh, started operation early 2016. Oxizo started operations early 2017. How many employees does each have? Uh, OFP Tech as an aggregation platform would have around 550 people. Oxizo would have around 450 people. There are a bunch of acquisitions which are underway. That's separate. What is the revenue of these companies? So uh, Off Business last year, OFP Tech last year actually did around 7,500 crores. This year it'll do upwards of 20,000 crores in terms of revenue. Oxizo is measured more in terms of a balance sheet play. So uh, currently we are at 3,500 crores in terms of balance sheet and we will be closing the year at around 5,000 crores in terms of the overall AUM. Uh, in terms of uh, profit, the group did around 200 crores as profit, profit after tax last yeah. year. And uh, this year we aim to do around a 500 crore plus in terms of profit as a group. Put so when you said... Assets under management, these are the loans that yes, you've loans given out? Yes, loans and advances, yes. How much are you valued at? Uh, for? Both of these businesses. I know both of them are like, you know, unicorns, but what were your most recent valuations? So the last valuation that was for off business uh, was around a 5 billion and for Oxizo was around a billion. Right. So, uh, but yes, there have been some sales which have happened over uh over the 5 billion mark. Then. Yeah, since back then. But that's more a secondary transaction. And how much of capital, venture capital, have you raised till date? Uh, so, uh, I mean, 
all those numbers are there i'll talk about oxyzo oxyzo currently raised a 200 million dollar round that was the um, very first round as well for oxyzo yeah so oxyzo um uh, earlier it was ofp tech which was actually infusing bulk of the capital um uh, in terms of to actually get the enterprise started uh, over time ofp would have infused close to around 500 crores and then um, once we had a decent book size and we felt that oxyzo was stand alone in terms of going to the market that's when uh, oxyzo raised its its standalone round uh, of around 200 million and we believe that this capital is sufficient to take it to a billion dollar plus book size as as uh, as oxyzo grows into a much uh, larger financial services enterprise right of business we've talked about a lot in terms of its growth vectors i think of business if you look at it as to how it's growing yes we've added multiple categories we have explored import and export we have we actually in fact now for some of the categories where we are strong enough and we are doing at least 200 crore plus uh, on a monthly basis in a category we have actually taken initiatives to say okay can we go one step forward and one step backward in terms of doing a little bit of value addition for the customer a little bit of processing or having our own products as well so that's the space that of business is in in terms of its next phase of growth and for oxyzo uh we've been primarily a lender and that too in fact let's talk a little bit more in terms of oxyzo that too primarily uh to buy raw materials so we give money to buy raw materials so in terms of oxyzo the payment is always done to the supplier so that supplier can actually give the goods to the customer right so that's in many ways the way i mean to use like a very rough analogy it's like when you take like a loan from a bank to buy a house yeah. the money doesn't come to you yes. it goes directly to, to the, the builder, builder or... exactly so for oxyzo it's more like okay we pay to the supplier supplier gives the goods to the customer and in 90 days the customer gives back that money and then can actually buy goods again right so that's like 75% of the balance sheet for oxyzo and uh, uh we also do 10 odd loans because now we are in a space not just small enterprises but medium enterprises as well and as we are looking at the space there could be requirement for capex there could be requirement for you know just growth capital so hence we have expanded on that space in terms of saying different uh you could say uh products as well as saying different industries and now the aspiration is to be actually the one stop for all sme requirements so we are actually expanding the financial services play to saying not just a lender but also having other elements of distribution syndication and so on and so forth so that will be a much wider financial services play what does that mean distribution syndication of what from a financial services point so for example there's a customer we'll take a very layman in terms of the customer is growing i can do only x amount as per my risk guidelines as a loan right? as a loan right then he has more requirements then we will introduce it to a bank or for so all our customers are bank right now but they will need more sources of capital so how do i get more sources of capital for him right suppose now he's grown enough and wants to get into capital markets like newer source of capital not just bank lending or loan he wants to issue a debenture or he wants so can i actually take some of them and distributed in the market right so hence actually having a a foray into a full suit of financial services offering with center remaining as small and medium enterprises right so that that's essentially what our objective is and and when you do achieve this how different will you look like from a bank other than the fact that bank takes retail deposits mm-hmm. is that like you know i mean are you saying that essentially if you were to look at a bank which is focused yeah. on 
businesses and trade would you look very similar to that even though you're not technically holding a bank license etc and stuff no, like so that. there are a lot of differences when you're actually a bank versus an nbfc or a financial services play right so from a bank perspective you actually rightly said there will be the entire retail deposits there will be a lot of trade products so our our endeavor is to say that okay there will be some things that we will be able to do there'll be some things we will not be able to do so can we set up those partnerships to actually bring it to fore like for example we cannot lend below a particular rate but can i enable a supply chain platform wherein banks can lend at a much lower rate to the customer set that i already have right? just to be clear when you said you can't lend below a certain rate it's because your cost of funds doesn't allow exactly, it exactly. it's not any regulatory no, 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 reason no, no, no. it's more cost of funds i mean the way you should think about a financial services play is saying that okay there is something that you will earn from loans right and there will be some expense towards it etc but the space we are in essentially say a 20 crore to say a 500 crore entity or 700 crore entity right this is a space wherein obviously the customer is banked there are specific requirements there is a need to flexible product etc which we are providing but we cannot go beyond say 15 16 70 we are not the 20% 24% lender so with an objective of profitability with an objective of saying that okay this is a healthy enterprise which is generating significant accrual of net worth you have to go into fee income and that is what our foray is saying that okay not just lending but areas in which we can add more fee income that's where syndication comes in that's where platforms come in can we have our platforms and introduce our customers for other products could i ask you to explain what's what's what do you refer to as a fee income like is it when you bring in some other lenders into the deal instead of actually charging you charge them a yes, fee in order there, to... there could be a fee that you have this is called syndication then there could be a fact that okay as i used the word distribution of the debentures there could be a distribution fees that we are charging for example i uh, we have a supply chain platform and a customer is coming in and maybe he can get a bills discounted at 8% it's a service and that's being service provided i'm providing by a them. service to that customer so hence i could charge a fee for that service right so these become more fee income products like if you look at a bank also they would have a set of lending products but at the same time they will have a lot of fee income products they'll they sell mutual funds to you mutual funds. right yeah. so 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 that, that's essentially where we believe that the enterprise is headed towards that there has to be a healthy mix of uh, interest income from our book and at the same time there has to be a healthy mix of fee income from a lot of other things that we right. do how old are you 39 You're married. You're married to Ashish. Yeah. Do you have kids? Yes, I have a lovely daughter. She's seven years old. Her name is Khushi. Right. <laughs> I want to go back to a quick question about the number. What's the total number of co-founders? Uh, you so have? we have five co-founders. Uh, we split roles and responsibilities very cleanly, and which has actually helped us build a very healthy dynamics. Uh, so, for example, as I said, I focus a lot more on Oxyzo. Uh, Ashish focuses a lot more on on the commerce piece. Yes, we do have responsibilities in each individual companies as per the right you could say the background as well as the whatever we've been playing over the last 5 6 7 years. Bhuvan actually looks at tech altogether, right? He has a separate team and uh, CTO for Oxyzo, but overarching in terms of setting the full tech backbone. I mean, if Bhuvan is doing something we would we'd not even, you know, 
we don't interfere into each other's space, right? We have this wonderful product called Bid Assist, right? Which is actually a marketing tool that we have wherein we have all that is actually something that Bhuvan and his team actually have built through. Vasant, uh, along with me, focuses a lot on uh, on uh, Oxizo as as uh, but he has an added responsibility in terms of uh, you growing the commerce. Me, there is a particular business line that he's looking at, okay. right? And similarly, Nitin actually uh, built up the full agri vertical within commerce, right? So, uh, and right now is actively involved in terms of product and tech piece as well. So it's it's just that all of us have actually cut out our roles. And over time, we have also shifted our roles from depending upon organizational priorities. And uh, that's why it's, uh, for me, it's always been this team and you look up to all the all, all of them, not just the five of us. I would say that this full layer of 15, 20 people who are leading individual charges of whatever we're doing, like the commerce person, commerce head, different business verticals in commerce. Similarly in Oxizo, different, in fact, Oxizo itself has different business verticals. So lead of all of these business verticals. And, and uh, it, it, it is so energizing. And I think one thing, uh, more importantly, what has happened with the kind the structure that we have or the kind of people we are. In fact, if you interact with all five of us or the next uh, 15, 20 people, there's a mix of a different DNA across. Uh, and um, I think for an organization, if I have to pinpoint why we are where we are, is obviously everybody just thinks that it's company first, more than me or Ashish or Nitin, Bhuvan, Basant or the next layer. Uh, what's more important is the company. That helps us make decisions, right? It's not an individual's decision. Uh, and uh, because we all lead different functions, it's that each function has a say, right? Process is equally important as sales. Mm-hmm. Risk is equally important as, say, sales. Tech becomes very important in pockets. So it it, it's, it becomes a, as a combination of different roles coming together. And if I have to reflect back, that when you have an organization where every every part of the organization has some voice, in a balanced way, right? Sometimes you have to prioritize business. Sometimes you have to prioritize, you know, uh, a process as well. It just leads to a much more healthy growth. Take us back to your family history and like, you know, I mean, what did you study and how do you end up? I belong to a, a, a middle class family, right? Uh, I, was the, I was the only child. Um, so humble beginnings. I think... Uh, uh, throughout my uh, throughout my education, one thing is that just work hard. Where do you grow up? Delhi, Delhi, right. So, uh, so we used to stay in Yusuf Sarai, which is close to Green Park, and it was always about just whatever you have on your hands, just work hard at it, right? And um, in two thousand, I joined IIT. IIT Delhi is a chemical engineer, and. Um, I, I think earlier the life used to be more like, okay, you sh- if you take science, you still have a lot of options. So you didn't have to make those career choices so as to say so fast. Um, then uh, I think after a year and a half of working after uh, IIT, I got into B-School as ISP and then I joined McKinsey. Um, I thought McKinsey would be a two to three year journey because I, I didn't see myself as like this uh, consultant uh, who would, you know, I, I didn't see that I would fit into it so much. But then I started to reason do fun- being the no, intenseness. Of no, I actually or? wanted to be in a more execution oriented role. Okay. At least that's the mindset that I had at that point in time. Right. So uh, 
Uh, and yet you were at McKinsey for how long? For nine years, right? So you should never say no. I think my my life, there have been instances that you, you should just say, um, as you take things along and with an open mind, you find out a lot more to your own personality and the opportunities around. When I joined uh, financial services in McKinsey, means there are different verticals, right? I, I actually loved it. I, I thought uh, uh, the quality of the clients at that point in time, in fact, 10 years and 10 years back, 10, 15 years back, banking and financial services had used to have the top talents, right? They would challenge you. The clients would be like really saying, it was this much we know, tell us something new or you're working with them. And there's it's a different level of excitement. used to have the best time. I, I, today, you know, it, it's more like, okay, 20 years back, it used to be either become an engineer or doctor, right? It's similarly, if you are actually getting into a good paid job, banking as a sector actually had evolved significantly. And and at that time, it used to be like Bombay is the hub. And, and and that's where the growth is. But anyways, as soon as, as I talk about this, I just feel so old, right? So, so I, I just, um, it, it was very exciting. It was very exciting. Insurance, uh, NBFC, bank. And I, I think that period of my life, I've met the smartest people within McKinsey and outside. And uh, that was, that, that actually, um, uh, I learned a lot. But then I reached a little bit of stagnation. Uh, with myself to say that, okay, what do I want to do new? And then off business happened. I think uh, it was with Ashish raising his hand saying that I'm I'm quitting Matrix. And then when three, four of us came together, it's like, okay, there's no better chance because more than the idea is always the team. Uh, yes, I in McKinsey, I had done this SME retail banking and all that. So it did, it did appeal to me uh, as an idea as well. But uh, it's it's always about the people. For me, it is always about the people. And today also, if I come to office, it's about so much energy that's based on people around. So yes, it happened. Our business happened. None of you folks, when you started out, were actually working in the space of B2B uh, trade uh, networks. So how did now, how, why, how and how did that strike you? What did you observe? Like, I keep coming back to this because I'm trying to figure out who was the connection? Ashish was at McKinsey and then he was so a venture Ashish capitalist. Was, Ashish was at Matrix, but most of the companies that he actually invested in at Matrix also were a lot of brick and mortar companies, right? So, which were very execution heavy. He was also very execution so oriented. Yes. The... And I think his previous experience prior to McKinsey at ITC also was because he was the manufacturing space, right? He hmm. was leading the plant there so that that's something that uh you know day in day out you have workers and you you see what manufacturing is right uh for me i had been on the credit side of sme right so i'd seen sme value chains worked on projects which are to do with sme and retail banking specifically branch banking and so on and so forth right uh for others in terms of Bhuvan, nitin vasant all of us actually had some background vasant actually was an itc guy right uh, so and like Nitin and Bhavan and family actually had a lot of individual SMEs in the extended family. So, and because we had worked for some time also, we had seen that there was a lot of potential in the core sectors of the economy. Everybody was at that time more oriented towards a B2C mindset. How do you get your food fast? How do you get goods delivered, right? And, and for us, we saw that if you just do the market mapping, there was so much, and I won't say I mean, that the first instant itself, we knew what the answer is, right? I mean, it is 
Today, sitting back, I think we had two, three ideas at that point in time. When we got into the market on the field, we said, this is big. When we actually made the first steel sales, we knew how big it was. It was just to go What there. was that? What was the first steel sale? I think it was 15 lakhs. And we knew that, I think the biggest point which we realized. What in was the that? First, what was that transaction? You were it, is, it is like someone is building a part of, a, a, you could say, you know, uh, when you're building, you're putting a hospital or a building or anything together, right? Yeah. So you will need steel, which is essentially yeah, PMT. Yeah, so mm. you need that, right? Or if uh, our initial sales used to be to this, uh, in Trichy, this ecosystem, which actually used to build for BHEL, boiler parts, right? It's, it's huge amount of steel. You go out, you see a bridge getting built. It's all steel. Right? Mm. So um, we saw that the consumption was so much in terms of all these raw materials that we said this is the space and in fact for us what clicked at that point in time there were a lot of MRO entities as well right what clicked was that if you sell something which is 6000 rupees right you can only MRO meaning meaning maintenance repair maintenance repair which could be in terms of safety shoes gloves all those kind of items right We, we realized that if you are in the B2B space there are three four parts of it right if you are in the long tail items, which is for maintenance and repair, you might be selling on an average ticket size 10,000, 50,000 rupee or maybe 5,000 rupee item, right? To be able to recover your costs that have gone into for that 5,000, you will have to sell that means 100, 100 of those to the same guy who might not even need it. But when you are talking about a ticket size, which is 10 lakh rupees, even if you start with making a 1 or 2% margin, start. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it went up significantly over a period of time, right? Net of everything, net of logistics. For us, we never did a calculation before logistics, before marketing. For us, it was always keep banaya kitna. What did you make out of that transaction after taking out all costs, right? We saw that in the first trans- start of transactions, you could break even. And that's where we switched. We switched in our minds that this is what we want to do in the first two months itself. We were very, very clear. This is what we will pursue. We will keep our cost base as low as possible. And we will be able to, uh, uh, if, if we can get to volumes, we will be able to get to profitability much faster. So yeah, that was what it was. Which is interesting because like, you know, combined workforce between both of your companies is around 1,000. people, yes. For a, so if I were to do a rough employee to valuation calculation, which would place you in... I'm, I'm guessing one of the highest. I, I think in more than the uh, employee to valuation, it's more a employee, employee to, to profit. Sales or yeah, profit. profit calculation. And I think that's important because, in fact, uh, the thought process, uh, one good thing is that both companies have a, very, a little bit of a different thought process. Um, in terms of, for example, if you look at off business, which is the commerce play, and I think this was a second point in our decision-making journey that was very important is in the sense when you start a credit business, you start the credit business to solve for commerce or you start the credit business because credit is an opportunity. Uh, and I think that time the decision we made was credit is an opportunity. There have been many people who enterprises over time who have come and actually had a conversation with us and said that, okay, my commerce business ko enable enabled, I want to have a credit engine. It's like you build your credit business if you believe that credit you can build as a standalone business. Otherwise, it's just shifting balance sheet from one to the other. So hence, that was the second most important point in our journey where we took that call. And and I'm so glad we took that call saying that, okay, credit was a standalone business. It is not there to support off business. 
or business can take care of its own working and capital. And you reduce that over time. Yeah. What percentage of your business um, so was So it's not that reduction per se. It is saying that, okay, I go to a customer, you are a customer. You could need credit to buy raw materials. You could need just raw material itself. If I'm just offering raw material, I'm playing in a very small pie. If I'm offering, okay, you can take credit from me and actually take from anybody else. I'm operating in a bloody, very large pie, hmm. right? So there's some opportunity that Oxizo is capturing. There's some opportunity that our business is capturing. And there's some opportunity which is captured by both. And it's such a beautiful pitch in the sense I go to you and say, you can take credit from me. By the way, I have on my own platform. Sometimes you wish to buy something, you can explore using that same credit. So the customer feels that we can talk his language. And does that happen in the reverse way also, which is of business saying that, hey, we've got Oxyzo in case you want credit. In case you want credit. But it's like what we have done is we've made it the job of individual teams. Like Oxyzo will go and cross-sell their product. Mm -hmm. Of business will go and cross-sell their product. That way the organizations are pretty clean. The boundaries have to be very clean in the sense. And that links back to the opening thing that we were discussing. If there are two organizations, then there needs to be their own standing. It cannot be that one is doing the job for the other. So uh, so the, I think that call was very important. Coming back to the profitability point, the, the DNA for off business is how fast you can rotate your capital. How low are your working capital days? And that's the bar we have taken. For Oxyzo, it's a balance sheet business. How much can you lend? How much, do you, how much risk call that you take such that your money comes back, right? So I think... Uh, Trying to do both those things under one umbrella is very difficult. All right. Slightly different question. How yeah. would you describe your attitude towards money and wealth? Me personally or the organization? Yeah, you personally. So I, I, I think uh, money is important from a perspective. I, for As an individual, I think there are basic necessities, right? Uh, I've seen times in life where, you know, uh, which I think... Um, are very important in someone's journey to actually have the value of money. Uh, if I were to say that whatever I've learned in my personal life, if I, how am I applying to that in, in professional space, I think the biggest lesson for me is cash flow. It doesn't matter on paper how much money you're earning. It, what matters is how much cash flow is there in the business, right? Because there's working capital, there's everything, right? So I think uh, money is important. Money is important for growth. Money is important from the perspective of saying that, okay, can you leave aside for a bit? Like, for example, when we started, we started from a perspective of saying that, okay, we want to start with a clean slate that there are no liabilities, right? Because our our time has to go 100% into the business, right? So we never made too much expense as a family uh, before starting up, saying that, okay, we are okay in our humble, you know, setup. And we don't want to take on too much expense on our side because time is money, right? If I can say, spend that same time without worrying about everything else, I would rather put it in business. So I, I think importance of money is from the perspective of saying that, okay, basics need to be met. Um, uh, you know, education, health and all those things. Beyond a point, I, I, I believe uh, it is uh, some people would say it is a way to, you know, say rich, wealth, etc. I, I, I believe that there's a, there has to be a point where you start giving back to the society, right? Uh, and I think that will be the real meaning of money for me personally, that 
you know, yes, I have been able to reach a point that you can give back to the society. I don't know if I answered your question, but no, uh, it's, it's it's your answer. It's perfectly <laughs> fine. Is an MBA? Do you feel that an MBA is still a compulsion to get top jobs? or to do great things in the space of entrepreneurship um i think you learn a lot on the job but uh, there is no um, in, there's no downside yeah. when you are in an institution it is not just what you read up but it's also about when you interact with others what you learn so i believe that experience and exposure is very important which you can actually apply back to your job uh, an mba makes you a little bit more mature because then you are actually interacting with those set of people yes conceptually also there is an appreciation for whatever is happening but i don't think so it's a necessity it is you can have an equally valuable uh, experience that can substitute for your mba if i would say that right so so for me it's not that i would i would recruit someone because they have done an mba for me it is the richness of experience and the wealth of knowledge that you carry with yourself right a question from one of my colleagues how bored are you and ashish with the par couple tag <laughs> no so i think it's been recent so i i was quite happy and uh, so the interesting part is when we used to come to office there would be people who would join office and for 3 months 4 months won't even realize that we are actually a couple right so that's the kind of you could say it's not just professionalism it's just that we have our own spaces you have it's this entire thing uh, there would be people who would be valuing us as lenders and in conversations would not get to know also right and i've kind of liked to be in that space right now that it's out there and all that um, i think it it is fine as long as it doesn't become noise it's fine right it's factual it's uh, i think uh, what makes it better is the fact that you can at least be an example there a lot of people would have questions can a husband wife couple work together or not right so if you can be seen as an example that you can actually maintain your professional and personal boundaries right and you can actually you know be completely focused and play different roles at the same time as long as it can what be what are your learnings or recommendations on that count which is when a husband and wife are working together in the same organization yeah. what are some of the best practices that you've embodied in order to kind of set boundaries or swim lanes i i think if there is mutual first of all before even getting into that space one should evaluate if there is a mutual respect for the other person's abilities and capabilities right like for example i what i would see in him is a uh, few qualities which might not be there in me right he would see in me in fact not just me and him but like for example bhuvan is there or nitin is there wasn't all of us see each other has having some kind of complementarity or at least that basic respect that whatever we are doing we are sufficient Great. for that role i'm right? assuming what so happens after that how do you avoid that is the first no if you don't have that hmm. then you can't avoid anything if you don't have the basic appreciation because what happens is that if you've seen each other in just a personal space uh you may might become nitpicky as people right it, it happens that in a husband or wife okay tum yet you don't do this well you don't do this well i think most of the conversations about what you don't do well but if you can have most of the conversations about what you do well then only you should get into that partnership we had actually worked together in mckinsey that's where we met right so that there that professional respect was there and hence when he raises his hand he wants to start and in fact i was also thinking of starting 
we both felt that there was some complementarity and there was this respect, professional respect. So I think that's the first thing before even you make that decision. Second is once you've made the decision and you're in that, you have to respect each other's space. Right? For example, there are decisions that, and this is not just about husband-wife. I think it's true about any co-founder. It's just that husband-wife thing gets played up a lot more. But I've seen so many co-founders break apart, either because they're too similar and hence both of them are interfering too much in each other's boundaries, right? I think as colleagues, if you can give each other the space, which comes essentially from the respect that that person was going to do their job well, right? And then you can play the assistance role in that, right? There is a primary lead and there is a issue here, then actually come back to us. I think that becomes very, very important. Having clear boundaries, I think, is the biggest, biggest learning that, okay, for this decision, you have to go. This decision, you have to go there. And for this, we have a joint point of view. That is helpful for any co-founding team. That's helpful for any, any kind of relationship, brother, sister, sister, sister. I think that, that's what it is. All right. What motivates and drives you on a daily basis? Like deep down inside, what makes you get up and like, you know, constantly strive? Um, so I'll actually compare it to my earlier days at McKinsey, I think, uh, or maybe earlier days, even in school, college, etc. So there was this um, uh, urge to do well, to prove yourself, right? Especially when you're you're growing from 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 the background. You just feel to say that okay, you just need to, as if you're there to prove that you're good, right? I think um, as an entrepreneur, one big change that at least I see in myself is the fact that that suddenly that urge to prove yourself is not there, right? Suddenly that urge is more to say, okay, how well is the business doing, right? Suddenly you wake up in the morning and saying, okay, there are these things I have to do, right? And at the same time, it's, it's suddenly flipped to saying how well are people around you doing? Around you in the sense, your team doing. Right? And, and I think that completely shifts the gear. It says, okay, people... It's who, no longer about you. Yeah, it, it's, it's suddenly that the pressure of, you know, trying to say to the world that you are, you know, you want to work hard so that you get good marks or you want to work hard to get a good job or you're at a good job, but you get a, want to get a good rating. That suddenly changes from saying that, okay, um, what's the book size of Oxyzo? Okay, what else do I need to do? Okay, what do we need to do in this particular initiative? Or, for example, or people who have grown up with you in your teams and you sit back and say, wow, I mean, this person has transformed in four or five years or this person has completely... And I think that gives you that satisfaction to come back again and say, how many more heroes can you create? This is very... Fascinating because I'm I'm kind of zooming out and seeing what you're seeing here. Saying here, what you're saying is that up till a particular time in school with your first job at McKinsey, etc., you were trying to prove yourself, yeah. and at some point now, you have receded to the background, and I think the sense of achievement has allowed you to put the focus on your team members, your organization, I'm going to build others. That's that's it. So, and you wake up in the morning and you just feel that, okay, I, you, if you close your eyes to think about the top 20, 25 people who, in fact, our business has been a space wherein a lot of people have joined as freshers. Okay. And that, that's been the core DNA, right? Right after college or one year, two year experience, etc. And you close your eyes and you find so many faces 
and you say, okay, they grew up here, right? And, and you just feel that, okay, there can be many more such people who will grow up here and or people who've already grown up, you know, they themselves are entrepreneur in their own right. I mean, uh, whenever I'm in a conversation and someone says, okay, you're, you're this co-founder for, for of business Oxyzo 2 And I'm like, it's not me. It, it, it's those people who are standing along and I can't express it in those many words, but I mean, you can feel that energy. And I think that's what gets me going and motivated to come to office every day. Are you a person who's motivated by goals or the journey? Um, goals are important because if you don't set goals, you cannot drive people to that journey. But whenever we set goals, I always tell my people, enjoy the journey. Right. So the goal, you can achieve that goal and still not be happy because maybe you, you know, put someone under the bus, etc. So don't do that. I'm okay with if 80% or 90% of that goal is achieved, but do enjoy that journey. When you're at your lowest, yeah. what motivates you? Um, when I'm at the lowest, I think uh, it's people. Because you see, and you see there are people who would have so many personal problems, but still they'll come to office and they'll give their best in office, right? And you're like, okay, I mean, things will come and go, right? This too shall pass, right? That's that's the statement that comes to my mind. And I say, okay, fine. I mean, we have to achieve something. And and uh, let's, let's uh, uh, you know, just, just aim towards, as you said, the goal. And what there have you, been low times, by the way, in the sense, professionally also, I think the second round that we were out there to raise, it was like massive set of rejections, right? And then uh, one fine day, like a lot of investors, that time B2B, people didn't understand that much. And that This time, was what, 2019? Yeah, this was Series B, Series B, right? And, and uh, there were a lot of these questions, credit, do you want to build a balance sheet? People at that time were more asset light and all those things. And we had this notion of building an NBFC separate and all those things, right? A lot, lot of those questions and B2C was the flavor and, 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 and rightfully so, right? Each investor has the right to have those pieces. And, and I, once I went to our office, it was another office and you stood in that open area where you can see everybody sitting and you're like, okay, you don't have a choice. Don't even think about and all you need is one investor, right? And, and that's what keeps you going, right? That's what keeps you going when you look at people who put in so much investor? fit. At that at time, that Zodius point. came too and then creation came in next, right? So uh, the fact is that you have to, uh, when, when you look at people who believe in you, then that, that lifts you up suddenly. What is it that you feel you add most value to Oxizo as CEO? Um... I think uh, I'm going to keep turning the lens back <laughs> on you because I'm sensing that you're constantly turning the lens back on the people and to the business. No, I, I think uh, uh, for me, uh, one thing that I personally value, which I want is that build for the long term. Right. And whenever there are decisions to be made, right, there are sometimes decision, business decisions to be made in terms of saying that. Can we get some quick business, et cetera? So my, my push is mostly towards saying NBFC or financial services is a business where you have to keep continuing to do, 
what you do, right? There, there's nothing fancy about it, right? There, there are elements of it which can be exciting. But you have to just keep your head down, keep doing it, keep doing it, and do the right thing. Do the right thing. Build it the right way. And I think that's... Uh, so long-term thinking yeah, is more what... More long-term, not thinking from a long-term vision while I'm thinking. Long-term hmm. in sense, whatever you're taking as decision today will have a long-term impact, right? So just do the right so, thing. So you're the feedback loop. So, I mean, my feedback question was... Feedback loop was more in terms of pushing for doing the right thing, right? All right. What's your best I, I way I think to... people are pretty scared of me if that's what you want <laughs> to ask sometimes to make the tough choices. So I think a big contribution would be a lot of people take my name to get things done. Got it. So you're also the bad cop. <laughs> yes, so I who's am. Who's a good cop? I am. Who's and a good cop? Each one of us has to be a bad cop in a different, different way or something. Right. But for Oxyzo, yes, I would be the bad right. cop. What's your best method to find talented people to work for you? Who don't currently work for you and you know you're, you're constantly meeting people and I'm sure you're figuring out yeah. who to get to work for you at Oxizo or off business do you have a hack of finding great people do you have a pattern um, yeah I, I think uh, in, in our early conversation I just try to see that irrespective of how you know, there are two parts to it in terms of saying that you have the knowledge and the skill and the wherewithal right and second is the fact that you are hungry to learn. For me, the second matters more. You're hungry to learn. You have the right DNA. That you will, for me, the hack is saying that you will, you'll be a person who will think company first. Right? How do you, how do you assess or measure I, hunger I to learn? I love to actually have people who are, who don't have to unlearn too much. Right? means early in their careers and early in their, you know. They, but how do you getting, still, let's say you have two people like, you know, equally good candidates. How do you know? Who has the hunger to learn? I, I ask, what do you want to do in life? Mm. And and what do people say that like, you know, Some people are very, very, uh, you know, pata lag jata hai. Conversation mein pata lag jata That's what we want to understand. Pata lag jata It's just that, you know, um, I, I tend to try to segregate honesty in a conversation or, um, you know, when you speak from the heart, it is that, you know, you want to do something with your life. Right? Mm. And then there is something which is a prepared interview answer, right? Suppose you have to, I have to ask you, okay, tell me two things you're not good at. You will always tell me I'm too hardworking. <laughs> Come on. Okay? I, I, I mean, I love uh, honest conversations. And for me, that's important. What's your span of control at Oxyzo? How many people report to you directly? So we don't, it's not direct reporting at sector. They all obviously, um, if you want to think about it, there'll be five, six people, right? Because there'll be department heads of individual departments like finance, processing, sales and all that. So, right. I mean, I had a question uh, saying, what are your biggest learnings from your unsuccessful attempts at fundraising? Yeah. But how, I mean, what's the spread like? like you know, I mean, in, in the history of fundraising, like, you know, for Oxizo, I'm assuming it was like, you know, you you spun out of, of yeah, business yeah. and your first round was $200 million. It was great. So I'm, your unsuccessful attempts would have been at off business? No, so it's uh, unsuccessful attempts as, uh, uh, at fundraising, rejections, obviously, rejections. Yeah. And all. So uh, the good thing is we've always done it as a team, right? Um, um, and uh, um, it, it's... We split roles between ourselves, right? So um, Ashish actually has a role to play. I have a role to play. Everyone has a role to play. And so, so we kind of, as a team, I think, 
despite the fact that there were rejections, the fact that we did it as a team, in the sense there was not just one face of the organization. That no, I get that. My question was that, what did those rejections teach you folks? Like, are there any lessons from those got, for uh, other entrepreneurs? I got a little better about presenting our own business. Right. Sometimes, um, in, what the early doing stages, in the early stages, we used to go into a lot more detail because we were so passionate about what we were doing, right? We would love to tell you about each transaction. We would love to tell you what has happening and all those things, right? I think... Um, Investors uh, want the big story. Uh, the, the big story. I think that would be the first thing uh, from, uh, from our side. Because uh, we are, I mean, I personally am quite operational as well, right? So... Uh, but uh, but in terms of our roles right now, I think um, Ashish does come across as a very big picture vision and all those things, right? So um, I focus a lot more, by the way, on the debt raising side, not just the uh, not the. Uh, I think the other learning for us would be the fact that you should not uh, try to change what you're doing to fit into what an investment thesis. Yes. Because there would be spaces that you are building the business. Like B2B was a space which had to be carved out. Nobody could tell you at that point of time as to what a B2B business should be like, right? We were in our journey asked a lot in terms of saying, what are the comparables? What happens in the US, which is similar to off business? We didn't have anything, right? But that should not make you feel that you're doing something wrong. If your economics are right, that's most important. If the unit economics, business economics are right, you have to stick to it. There have been multiple conversations wherein people have it's said It's very that, rare, right, Ruchi? Like that, I mean, I think you guys at some level lucked out because in general, startups will find it very hard to become unit economic positive at yeah. scale in the very first year or like, you know, to itself, right? So don't you think like, you know, when you say that like, you know, so, so I mean, I'm going back to what you said, let's say a startup is trying to build a business in a space where there are no equivalents. Hence, the VC investment thesis does not exist. Yeah. And it's also not a sector where you can instantly go and like there is a spread between buy and sell, which you can capture through this, right? Yeah. So by definition, wouldn't they be losing some money? Uh, and you just need one investor. Hmm. Right, you just need, and it's important because you have to get the right investor who believes in what you're doing, right? So because it's not just about the money. After a point, color the money the same, right? What what I intend to say is that if you are clear of what you're building, it could be either from an economics perspective. Like for example, there was this entire wave for a very long time that focused on growth. Economics will follow, right? But you have to go to what your core is. That wave has crashed. Now. So, but what is your core as an entrepreneur, right? You cannot change. See, feedback is very important. Absolutely important. You should incorporate that feedback. Like, for example, feedback came our way. We incorporated in terms of how we are doing the business. We did. But what are the core on which we build the business? Our core was the fact that we have to aim for profitability. We have to raise debt. A lot of people came back to us when we started raising a lot of equity also. Right? Boss, up to you don't need. Boss, no. Leverage is the way to build business. Right? There will be businesses like our financial services business where equity will follow debt. So there are some core principles that you have to establish in the business. And for us, like, for example, tech was a huge enabler. But it was not that everything, you know, we are a tech-enabled organization, right? And we, we are a sales-enabled organization, we're not a marketing. You would not have seen our name for the last, for the first four years ever, like, of business, of business, right? Yeah. 
we are sales so you should be very clear what your dna is and i think after a point we started to reflect what are our key principles and we used to start our pitch there this is our key principle this is what we are building then go to it after a point obviously it became the numbers which started speaking and but there have been lot of discussion around saying that why are you so focusing so much on uh, profitability at this stage of your life when growth is more important right so we have had our own challenges there were there would you would see that there is a time year on year you would see a growth in commerce a little lesser because we said at that point to ourselves that building the uh, financial services business was more important at that point right so you have to make those choices and you have to stick to those choices and then when you're having a conversation with the, with the investor you should be absolutely transparent i think that's one thing that we've always been it's never been about future me asa ho jayega we always start about what we have built what we intend to build mm-hmm. right so uh, it's not been a story that we are chasing a uh, a unicorn right which is a mythical animal right it's saying that we have built a horse it will gallop fast and faster what are some of the first principles you turn to most often when you're faced with new complex significant decisions are there any first principle like you come across something which you've never dealt with before how do you tend to kind of approach it there are a lot of business ideas that come and um, in true spirit we do let people you know try it out but very quickly we take a decision that if you need to close something fast we close fast right um, it is all about so there was a point there have been a lot of people who tried to drive us towards gross margin hack in ai and all that we've come back to square one saying hey beta and pat right i think that's been that's been just to be clear yeah you're saying that you you as a I company we'll focus on the bottom line not if, if so much on the top term, line see we will have to take some initiatives right we will invest in tech we will do all that right but when it comes to business decision whether we want to do this or that right we we do give a lot of um, entrepreneurial freedom for people to try new things but when we do that we put it under a observation saying that two months four months if it is not doing well you means you can go and ask everybody they can tell you a list of 6 7 10 things that we've closed also and when we close we close and when we have to clean up when you close something you have to clean up right the founders clean it up what does that mean so for example if to collect something right it comes to a central desk it's not that okay um, you know you were closing some so for example we tried some initiative we set up some manufacturing manufacturing we set up some processing thing we felt this is not right we will make sure that we are directly involved or the top team the top when i say founders in terms of founding team 10 15 people so whenever it comes to doing any kind of dirty work which is an aftermath of closing anything it will be the top team which will do it and what is the reason for doing that you have to lead from example you have to i mean you have to that's why you are there that people can come and say this is not working help us figure it out so i think that's and even after it's not worked help clean it up is actually a good signal otherwise in some way because ways, we we do not hmm. let anything hit the bottom line right if you leave things ki chalo theek hai it's an experiment you cannot have experimental costs in the system because then that will take away the profit that actual business is generating right as both a ceo and a co-founder how do you train yourself to avoid self reinforcing bubbles 
because you know the privilege of within the organization you are both the ceo and the co-founder actually the co-founder like you know you're connected to both businesses so what you believe in and what you think will tend to become very strong like you know and and like does that happen that like you know do you force yourself to kind of tell people to come and tell you you're wrong or yeah. like you know this like so is is there a method do you see that happening actually so first of all we actually stayed away from any kind of designations for a really long time like you would not see in the initial 4 5 years anybody as ceo for off business it was just actually this this designation also evolved with the fact because we split out the two companies and obviously we reached a scale that we have to because all of us had more of our individual roles right i still do something that i used to do 5 years back right so it's not that if all payments have to go through it does to through right bhuvan still actually codes ashish still does lead all collections and and nitin still does the running around vasant has been like sales mein baithega nahi to maza nahi aayega right so i think because we have whatever we were doing right from the start we have some portion of that role so we are more in a way employees of the company right not just leaders of the company we have our own thing to do on a daily basis and that keeps us more grounded because that keeps us closer to the fact that what is the reality check rather than sitting on the top and saying this is what it is so we've not actually hired a professional ceo we've not hired because all of us it's it's just that ground up now coming back to your point in terms of does it, does it become self reinforcing as to whatever we're saying is the right thing or not i think that healthy tension between the five of us is great right um we have like me and ashish have a very different way of thinking so sometimes he has to tell me that i'm wrong sometimes i have to call out that you know this doesn't make sense or this agenda needs to be pushed more and sometimes for that matter you know who were or nitin or asad will do it and not not just five of us by the way it will be the same thing for the next set of leaders that we have for each of the businesses they they get their own flexibility to make their own decisions but there are a lot of things that are committee driven decisions for us right uh it is not means lot of the decisions whether it comes to credit whether it comes to general so it's it's a very inclusive way of decision making it's not a founder led what are your two three most critical meetings in a week uh i would say a uh, lot of the reviews mostly around the reviews right uh, which could be uh, whether it's a sales review whether it's on the off business side there will be some review so uh, most of us are in form of some of those things and at that thing i think those will be review meetings so two to three review meetings per week would be the most most critical review what kind of people do you find it most difficult to work with and why uh for me personally uh, i think someone is not hard working enough and is trying to get the easy way out by talking through i i find it very hard um i think ashish is much better off that way is to be able to actually get work done from different set of people and different skill set uh i i actually am quite in love with the fact that give it your best okay uh and how do you maintain empathy towards people while still pushing them to get work done uh, i think empathy is something that has to come from within it's not that you can one day decides that you want to be empathetic towards the people and if you actually 
respect your people, if you actually respect what their contribution is, it will automatically come from inside. And that feeling of gratitude in whatever they've contributed would automatically become a way of actually being empathetic when they actually need it the most. So I, I think it's, uh, it just happens, the fact that... It, it, but I, I think if you start expressing your gratitude towards people, that empathy will start coming in yourself. Right? What is the most underrated cultural aspect that a workplace must have? The most underrated. As in? Like, a- like something which actually is very important but not enough people recognize and call it out as so. Is there anything that exists like that at Off Business, which you don't see talked about that much in other businesses, but you feel it exists at Off Business or Oxyzo? Uh, I think uh, I see that uh, that sense, at least in the, I mean, I can definitely say for the initial folks which were there in the first four years, five years, right? Um, as saying that, it's the company. I mean, it's not, they're not doing it for me or they're not doing it for Puan or Ashish or maybe their immediate boss, right? Uh, we call it being company first. We say company first very lightly that you should be company first. But I think it gets ingrained for the fa- from the fact that if you have a shared celebration about where the company is, if you have a shared disappointment with what has happened in terms of if you say lost some money somewhere I mean if it pinches the next to next layer that means they're thinking about the company if they have the guts to come and say Ki, you know dekho, maybe that person is not agreeing in the top team but ma'am this is right to be done they'll find a way to figure out how to get the right thing done for the company I think that that's that's for me. Uh, what are the top two or three failures that you might have made as a company at Osizo that you look back on and like, you know, learn from? It could uh, be anything. Missteps, missed opportunities, whatever. I mean, I think there was a point that we were on the ride on commerce uh, because we dedicated a lot of, uh, you know, time and effort towards lending. Uh, commerce had to take a little bit of a back seat. Had we well, uh, you know, uh, human capital is most important. And had we actually built the, that human capital for both of them at that same point in time, I think we would have been one year ahead in that journey, right? So that's one thing. And in that is my second point as well, that we never paid attention to our positioning. There was some time that we were a B2B commerce player. There was a long period we were recognized as a lender plus plus that we're doing lending also and we do commerce as well. So somewhere that individuality of those two businesses and the flexibility both of them had to grow independently uh, was compromised for a, for a year or so. Yes, we may covered up a lot of ground in the last two years specifically um, and, and carving out the businesses, etc. But I think that at, at that point, it seemed right. But if I look back, I would have over-invested in that. Um, and um, I think um, sec- uh, the third aspect of uh, is uh, the fact that COVID gave us a very good pause to think about our business again and, uh, you know, make some changes and all those things. And the way we actually handled that period was just, just superb in terms of both on the lending side as well as the commerce. Commerce, maybe we launched new businesses on lending, the way we collected. We were like 
crazy after actually uh, uh, collections as a piece, right? I think had it not happened, we could have gone onto a path of running too fast, right? So I think business needs some pauses at some point in time. I think that's that's a learning I want to carry that at every point in time that we're very fast. Just that one month or, you know, just, just that stepping back is very important. I won't say it's wrong, but I believe that had that pause not come because it just gave us a next touch. There are a few businesses that we started, small, small, small initiatives that we took. I think uh, in hindsight, maybe we won't do that, but I think it's a part of learning. We didn't lose too much money on it, but the fact that we did put in some resources, bandwidth, and I think it's just a part of incubation. Some things work well, some things not, but yeah. How do you study and observe customer behavior at Oxygen? So we're very close to our customers in the sense the way we source customers is our own people. By the way, this question is for me to you as as an individual. Ruchi, that's oh, right. Okay. The CEO, not as the company. Because I almost all of your responses <laughs> are this is how the company does. Okay. So uh so for me actually just uh just uh, this ecosystem is such that you don't need to have lakhs and lakhs of consumer. Right? We are lending to a sizable entities, right? And uh, being in conversations with these entities. What is that? In hundreds, thousands? No, thousands means we, we would have 5,000 plus customers and all that, right? Uh, sometimes collecting yourself for a few tough cases, right? Uh, sometimes just uh, when negotiations are not closing, just uh, having so conversations. Collecting yourself means a customer owes you back a yes, repayment and, and, and somebody, somebody needs to go. Somebody needs to go have a call. So, it's like if you are closer, so two, three things. One is this is an ecosystem where you should get a lot of feedback from what your other parties, other NDSCs are doing. So just that market understanding is very, very important because you cannot be at a different price point and keep pushing your team to be, you have to sell at 16, 17 when the market is at 14, right? So I think that that external orientation is very, very important, right? Uh, second thing which is important is that even if you're not like in the field meeting the customer day in, day out, you at least have some conversations. That could be around collections. That could be around negotiations. That could be around closures. That could be around structuring the loan or something like that. So that, that actually and helps. And from these conversations, are there any interesting things that you've learned in the last year or two? Like why sometimes collections get delayed or why something happens? Because I'm assuming one reason is also for you to understand Yes. Like, you know, the mind of the customer as well. Yes. Right? So are there any interesting insights that you've come yeah, up with? Yeah, if you're too away from something, you might, there, um, there's always, in 60-70% cases, there's always a resolution possible. Right? If you're too distant from the situation, then you will try to take calls and saying, if it's not happening, then you you will take very drastic Binary measures. Decisions. Right? Mm. Uh, sometimes when you are in the situation, you realize what the real situation is. Maybe there is a period you need to give for resolution. Sometimes you have to close in the in between as, and so on and so forth, right? So yeah, I, I think it's it's a constant learning process. And so for example, you will identify newer markets to go to or newer customers to do that, or you'll tweak your own product to actually say. But as I said, uh, NBFC or financial services is about doing the same thing, same thing again and again and again. And I think that's my biggest learning. What are you paranoid about? Um... 
I am paranoid about uh, Oh, that's a difficult one. I don't know. Actually, I, I actually don't know what I'm paranoid. But I think I, I am very paranoid about when uh, uh, when I see that there's been a system which is built. And if I get a sense of someone is trying to bypass the system, then that person has had it, right? You tell me that you're doing it. You are facing this issue. That's fine. Then we figure out a way together. But if you try to do it sheepish, sheepishly and you try to figure out a way to just uh, cross-circuit it, that's something that I... Why is that? Because I, I think uh, in the growth phase, it's equally important to set the right processes, set the right systems. And the orientation, whether you are in a sales or ops, etc., should be towards making the system better. I'm absolutely given for the fact that you'll need exceptions. Yeah, we absolutely... It, this is a space, you know, there could be exceptions, X, Y, Z. But there has to be a method to the madness, right? If you're lost in the madness, we'll never be able to build the method. And this is a period to build the method, right? So I think uh, um, just want everybody to have that conscience keeper thing within them, saying that, okay, I need this waiver. But I've asked for this waiver, I got this waiver. It's not that I represented the facts differently. I think so asking for a waiver tells your organization that there's something about the process which may need a tweak. May, and if you never need a tweak or something like that. You just don't, you know, uh, you ask me the word paranoid. It's just that what takes me off is the fact that you feel that you, if someone thinks that they can be smarter than the system, that, that actually ticks me off. Right. Do you have any metrics that you look at to track your culture, how you're doing as an organization from a culture point of view? So um, for me, uh, I love the fact that whenever there's this, you know, we are seven years old. So whenever there's this wishing someone a fifth anniversary, sixth anniversary and seventh anniversary, people have stayed with you, people who are old who've been there. And for me, that automatically gives me, a, so I won't say I have a real metric that I track, right? There is obviously, there is HR tracking, attrition, there is a lot of those things, right? Uh, for me, as I find uh, familiar faces, familiar people who've, uh, you know, who've, and those anniversary tickers coming in, and people, even people who've been there like three years, four years plus. I, I, I just get a sense of satisfaction. For me, is the fact that if you're staying within the organization, you're doing well, then the organization as a whole is doing well. So for me, that's what it is. But yeah, as you grow, uh, there are different set of uh, noises which start coming in. And, uh, and I think it's a collective responsibility of all top 20 people to figure out a way around those noises. How, how do you know that? How do you assess the state of your current culture? Like, how do you know whether you're doing better than last year? Because for someone who's so numbers-driven and metrics obsessed and stuff like that, what I'm trying to understand is that how what would be your lead indicators to observe changes in culture, not lag indicators? Like stuff that you talked about, like attrition, retention, etc. would in some senses be lag indicators. Mm -hmm. How would you know that's at some point if you need to intervene at a cultural level? And actually, it's an interesting question. It's just that we are so self-obsessed with the fact that, you know, we are where we are because of our culture. 
um and uh, it's more of a satisfaction deep within because saying that okay you'll get people very young in their journey they'll grow with you as leaders etc um that formally honestly it's not a metric that i have right now but now that you push me for it i should think about it for sure yeah, because honest. the thing is that I, when things are good you will not yeah. notice when yes. they start fraying yes. yes. and it's yes. lagging so because i, I think sometimes uh, if you think that people can directly pick up the phone and call you saying that you know this is not happening right this is not how we were sometimes you convince them this is the new way of doing it but if you keep getting some of those calls you feel that you are at least connected to the organization i think that's most important but now that you say it <laughs> i think that's a to do for me for sure uh have we as an ecosystem taken the concept of startup growth yeah. too far and growth at any cost i think that's become lesser right now i i think it was lot more Was it back. conscious or largely because there's a crash and there's not enough funding available? So obviously, we growth capital has for, dried up. For anything to actually have a, a a different trajectory, there has to be a pause. Like for example, I explained you the pause for COVID, right? So this is like a pause, right? You reflect back. So uh, I think what's important is that as a as an enterprise or as a founder, what do you want to chase? It's in the times when people are chasing growth. There have been a lot of people who've been actually. doing balanced growth right those stories don't get talked about enough now those stories are getting talked about right everybody has their own time and whatever it is right you should know what you are what you will be able to build if you're saying that i'll grow right now and i'll be able to actually build profitability later then you should have a line of sight to it there's no harm in it and i think the organization should mirror that vision ye nahi hai ki acha abhi it should not be a you know pie in the sky that it will come at some point in time but there, if there is a path that's fine right if the path is that i'll grow extensively and i will be able to capture this market and then i will be able to push a price point wherein i will become profitable that's fine but yes it should it, it shouldn't be ki okay abhi bol ke let me get the money in and then we will figure out how it is right then, then this entire excessive hiring and firing and all those things just doesn't make sense right You said your daughter's seven years old. Yes. What is her view of the world compared to when you were seven years old? Life has changed. I must say, um, I think I was, I was not half as you know, worldly wise or what was happening around as to what uh, schools teach these days. Um, I think uh, I have a lot to learn from her at this, even at this me being thirty nine and she being seven. Uh, she's very disciplined. Uh, and uh, she's able to work around the fact whatever our uh, schedules are right and and she's quite self sufficient that way and i think kids have become a lot more self sufficient today uh, and uh, that dependency is is less little lesser if you make it out that way right so and um, I, i don't even remember when i was 7 years old i think i was just <laughs> used to be uh, maybe doing nothing uh, but yes a um, uh, lot to learn for me from her as to uh, that 7 years seems like maybe when i was 12 years old right so let's not know what has parenting taught you about yourself so far um, i think being a parent uh, actually for for us we had khushi at the same time when we were starting out right so uh, 
and uh, it, it's like the organization itself becomes a baby as well so, so two babies so today. two babies and, and you see them grow so i can literally map out her growth and the organization's growth in parallel right and uh, obviously parenting is the fact that you you know how much you can love right how much you can be loved by by and also it just brings about this joy and it's same with an enterprise right you see it grow and then you feel that the more you put in the more it gives you back and more it gives to the ecosystem as well right and similarly parenting is not just your job alone right so my parents his parents and there's an ecosystem of teachers and everybody right so you have to seek everybody's help right? similarly with an enterprise right it's like it's not you as a founder alone or you it's not just this 5 10 15 people it's the the ecosystem and i i think you see both of them growing together and there's so much parallel that you want to draw and i think the biggest thing is time goes by very fast i think that's the big thing that you just cannot you know you as see a parent, a growing, i fully like, agree just, with you on that yeah it just it just grow up so fast after that comparison i'm going to ask you to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 as a ceo and as a parent oh i, I you're asking the wrong person i i'm not the self-rating <laughs> no no i'm not a self-rating person at all i think you should definitely is that because you're too self-critical uh it's not self-critical it's just that uh, if you rate yourself too well then maybe you are just too 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 I think there's a long way to go. But that's absolutely the reason why we want must get a rating from you. You have to rate yourself. I think uh, it's the job of people around to rate you. I, I genuinely. I get that. it. Yeah. But almost every like no, every person has. I can be a better. Has, I can be a better person. I can be a better mother. I can be a better. Uh, we always CEO. can give us a rating, Ruchi. What is that rating? <laughs> CEO rating on a scale of one to ten. Yeah, I will actually ask and get back. This is what I'm saying. No, no, this is your opinion of yourself. This is I not think, what I others think, are telling you. Uh, I think. Uh, wow, I can see how incredibly uh, tough this is. It is. is it is right. I mean, if I rate myself lower, then it's a disservice I do to the organization, right? I know all the and formulas that are going on <laughs> in your head right now. Right? No, no. I think seven is my lucky number, so I'll go with that. All right, and For what both. about? Oh, come on, that's a cop out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, is it okay for Khushi to work at Oxyzo or off business one day? Yeah, absolutely. It depends upon what she likes to do, right? So I, I would love to see her. What if she decides to drop out of school or college and say she's pursuing her dreams, whatever they may be? How will you take that as a parent? For my, for me, it's fine. I mean, see, I see her. She's she's a smart kid, right? So I know where she is headed, right? But at one fine day, she comes. But this, she should have a path for herself. It's not that I want to do this, right? It, at the end of the day, as a parent, I would. Um, it, it is good to be inclusive in some discussion, but at the end of the day, I also to share my experience with her as to how the life can pan out, right? If there is something which is truly a passion, I would rather say, pursue this passion, right? And get to for for me education is very important right because i genuinely believe that if you have to train change the trajectory of what you are in in a land like india then education is one such way 
and that education can be by the way in music as well it can be in arts as well it can be education in general as well right so for for me you have to work very hard towards whatever your passion is and now that passion can be in any of the streams right uh, so if she chooses that stream so be it other things well, drop out is not allowed you have to drop into something else when you're dropping out of something <laughs> Not allowed is not something that you'll be able to say when that point comes. Just <laughs> have to drop into something else, right? That has to be saying that you're choosing something else over this, right? Yeah. All right. Are there things that you do that others around you might find weird or quirky? Weird. Hobbies, passions. Oh, ho- hobbies and passions. Anything. I thought anything. about work. Uh, This conversation is about you. Yeah, yeah, It's I know, I know. It's not always so, about Oxyzo. Uh, I'm a very simple person. I'm, What's your favorite cuisine? Um, I I like uh, in terms of okay food. I love uh, mutton. I'm a mutton jo- Rogan Josh. I am a non-veg. And uh, yeah. So and is that I the see- most common food you'll typically order no. out when you go? No, I I, I love. most common food i'll order out is a simple chili chicken or um, yeah that, that those would be the two dishes that you will have see me having what does personal time for you look like personal time for me uh, would be with my daughter or uh, just uh, sitting idle blank so that it's very rejuvenating um or i will like pick meditation up or no, just sitting just sitting idle doing nothing or just picking up uh, something and uh, uh, there there was a time i picked up painting so i would love to do that for a bit so just 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 blank out of other things and just be in that space how do you know you're when you're under stress and if you do what are your stress busters um when i have too much on my plate and i have not been able to catch up with my work that clearly shows up as stress um if i sit down and just plan myself well then i just calm down with that uh because then i'm like i'm sorted i'm in control right so i i think that's that's the or if there are too many things which are happening at one go then i might get flustered so hence i need to just put it down on paper i asked you what personal time looks like for you what does focus mode look like for you when you are doing deep focus on something oh uh super efficient closing things down whatever is there okay next 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 that 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 is like a super efficient day like what are you doing like you know your room is shut you've got headphones no. on or just no, like no, do not disturb we don't have rooms here you are only mm. your seat right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it completely an open office culture and uh, it is like okay there would be like 15 people who are chasing you and if you're able to close out 10 of those conversations i think it's great on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with life i just hit the scale of 1 to 10 i'm how telling you how happy are you with life i'm very happy i mean it happiness is a state of mind right so uh, so is it 10 on 10 yeah see I've, that I've, wasn't so hard yeah i <laughs> know yeah, i'm i'm grateful i'm grateful to god for everything that i have so i think it's uh, it's beautiful Which morning of the week do you look forward to the most? Monday. What are some of the new things you may have tried recently? Is there like a new book, a new hobby? Is there anything else outside of work that you've tried recently? So I, I told you painting. Um, 
I love to read Agatha Christie. So that that's my, you know, just reading. That's your de-stress thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I love the, the thriller, either movies or uh, detective novels. That's, that's, that's my space. Um, yeah. Uh, general stuff in terms of putting on music, dancing to it, and just that's it. Do you read? Sorry? Do you read books? Yeah, just what? as I thrill. Oh, detective, Agatha. yeah. Okay, all right. That's your de-stress. This yeah. Last question. Yeah. Do you have any kind of a nickname that reflects something about your personality, whether it's at Oxyzo or off business or at home or anything? No, I'm just called Richie. It's a very short name. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, let's extend this question. If not, what do you think it ought to be? Is there a word that we can come up with that describes your personality? I have to think about it. It doesn't have to be like a nickname. Is there a word that comes closest to describing you? I I can't think of it, actually. I genuinely can't think of it, yeah. Uh, So, so there was a reason I kept my daughter's name Khushi. And I think uh, that word, it doesn't describe me per se as much, but it's just that you strive for peace and happiness, right? So that, that that's the word I associate the most with. And that's my daughter's name. All Ruchi. right, Ruchi. Thank you so much for your time, Ruchi. Thank you so much. Hello again, it's Rohan. If you enjoyed the episode, then you might enjoy working inside the journalism organization that produces this and many other podcast stories and newsletters each week. Since 2016, when the Ken first started, our single-minded ambition has been to make business journalism more interesting, more relevant, and more accessible. We do this by offering our subscribers stories, newsletters, visuals, and podcasts that are sharp, original, and worth spending time on. So if you want to work alongside some of India's and Southeast Asia's sharpest and nicest writers, designers, editors, podcasters, developers and product makers, check out our openings at theken.com slash careers.